0: Welcome back to Instant Analysis here on the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, this time following the Alabama Crimson Tide's 34-24 loss to the Texas Longhorns Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. For the first time since 2007, the Crimson Tide under Nick Saban drops a non-conference regular season home contest. Obviously, we're going to have a lot to get into as we go through the events of Saturday night. Really, I think you can look at the offensive side of the ball pretty thoroughly when discussing reasons for the loss or certainly things that went a long way in the defeat for Alabama, but the defense too, especially in the fourth quarter. Boy, when you look at Quinn Ewer's numbers in the fourth quarter for Texas, and Nick Saban talked about it in his post-game comments, explosive. And kind of goes back to some issues – That we saw from the team a year ago, the 2022 team, whether it was penalties, 10 more penalties uh, in this game on Saturday night, whether it was minus two in turnover margin, really just a lack of complimentary football. Give all the credit in the world to guys like James Burnup and Will Reichard, the specialists, the kicking game for the most part were just fine, Uh, but Texas was able to match Alabama in that area too. Had a miss from Burt Auburn, the outstanding kicker for Texas, that was a benefit to Alabama. That was a break of sorts. Uh, But just in terms of the offense finding its legs at the right time to go along with the defense, syncing up and finishing the game, we saw it a year ago. Sometimes the offense would get it going maybe in the third or fourth quarter, and then the defense wouldn't have answers. Tennessee and LSU, that was the case. So a continuation, unfortunately, in some ways. Now, look. Some of us have said or had said all offseason or believed anyway that this would be Alabama's toughest game of the 2023 regular season with the thinking being the time in which the game was on the schedule, when the game was going to take place, second week of the season, whereas games against Tennessee more along the lines of mid-October. Certainly when you look at LSU, you're talking about early November. So the thinking being again – that between the quarterback situation, you're still going to be new in that regard. And also defensively, as we saw in some cases in this loss to Texas, uh, still going to be working some things out over there. You still had some question marks about a defense that really, in terms of the front, you wondered, okay, where's the the alpha coming from? Where's the war daddy at for this Alabama defensive line? Two games in, I think we're still wondering that. We're still thinking about this Alabama defense more – along the lines of being edge-oriented when it comes to pass rush and playmaking ability. And then you thought about Texas in advance of this matchup, and you knew the Longhorns returned both of their starting offensive tackles, uh, a wealth of skill talent, Alabama transitioning at numerous positions throughout the secondary, tough spot on the schedule for this game to take place, even playing at home. Now, all that being said, I still picked Alabama because I kind of believe that playing in Tuscaloosa, you know, this team with a more physical approach on the offensive side of the ball wouldn't expose itself as much in terms of every aspect of this team, not just on offense, what was exposed a year ago, but how that left the defense vulnerable. But it goes again, back to complimentary football, and it still didn't play out in this game against Texas. Now, obviously, the lightning rod position, quarterback, Jalen Milrow, uh, up and down, to put it nicely, I would say from Jalen, but boy, the mistakes that Jalen made were just absolutely critical, and they're tough mistakes, I know, for a coach like Nick Saban to watch, even though a guy doesn't have a lot of starting experience, he has a lot of developmental work that has been invested in him, so he's in his third year. And I know if you watch broadcast or you listen to announcers and they talk about mistakes being more along the lines, you know, what you see from a young quarterback. Yes, in terms of starting experience, Jalen is still very young. But it's going to be interesting moving forward because Nick even said this post game. I think Charlie Potter of our staff asked Nick about the possibility of playing other quarterbacks in the game. And my understanding of what I heard was that Nick, Gave it some thought. I think at thirteen to nine, with Texas leading there uh, early in the second half, and at that point, you're thinking if you're an Alabama fan, you're thinking how is this team only down four? Uh, but give Jalen credit. I thought there were a couple of possessions there in the third quarter that were as big as any as he might have in his Alabama career. In other words, you were getting the sense that. At a minimum, Tyler Buckner might be on the verge of getting a series. But to Jalen's credit, he answered the bell. You had the field goal drive, and then you had the the uh, the drive to to go ahead at 16 to 13. And then from there, Alabama gets outscored 21 to seven the rest of the way. And Jalen has got to be better. And I also think at this point there needs to be more recognition of okay, if Jalen's your quarterback, this is the offense. This is the kind of offense that you're going to employ with him behind center. I, was, I wouldn't say I was, um, I was displeased or happy with the offense. I'll say I was surprised. I was surprised to see Jalen throwing on straight dropbacks early in the game. I really felt like, and I wrote about this on Five Predictions for Texas-Alabama, I thought it was going to be a heavy-designed run night for Jalen Milrow and it really wasn't I guess you could look at his rushing stats and he's I guess he was let's see was he in the double digits and carries I think he was but you know when you really break those carries down yeah he had 15 carries but he was sacked five times so those go on um you know your official stats for your rushing so you take those off he's at 10 how many of the 10 I know he had a quarterback draw that I can recall that went for some nice yardage it just seemed like everything else was off extended plays. Uh, he did get pressure. Alabama's offensive line pass protection schemes uh, weren't good enough throughout the night. But also, once he got pressure early, uh, he started to feel pressure earlier than it was actually a problem to him and kind of started to hold the ball a little bit. You know, some of the things we pointed out in second watch last week. You know, the ball's got to come out quick in some situations, uh, and that's still an issue for Jalen from time to time. But, you know, Nick in the postgame did admit to at least thinking about it. Uh, He also said they didn't really, as a staff, talk about it. Um, So if they didn't really talk about it at halftime, because that would seem to have been a point in the game, sitting on six points and having the struggles that Alabama was having, that if you were going to maybe go – Tua Tonga-Vailola for Jalen Hurts, and this time you're going to do it Buckner for Milrow, uh, that would have been a spot where you would have considered it. But it was Milrow's game. And again, and Saban talked about this post game too. There was never a point where he got the sense in either looking at Jalen or listening to Jalen talking with Tommy Reese on the headphones that Jalen had checked out mid-game or end game So uh, the makeup apparently was still there. Again, though, you know, two seasons and a game into his development, it's going to be very interesting because what you've got coming up is a road game at South Florida that Alabama will win. But then you get Ole Miss in Tuscaloosa. And if you're Lane Kiffin and you're coming off an impressive road win, albeit Michael Pratt, Tulane's quarterback, didn't play, but still a nice road win. If you're if you're Lane and you're watching your boy Sark, you're thinking I can get in my bag too. And if defensively I think that's where the biggest difference is Ole Miss doesn't have the people that Texas has uh, but that's a big stretch now it becomes even bigger when you talk about Ole Miss and Mississippi State and then you get into early October and there's Texas AM on the road boy what a what a letdown what a letdown for the SEC West in general as far as the top three projected teams in the West you go 0 for 3 between LSU Alabama and AM. With those games against FSU, uh, Texas, and Miami, but sticking with the Crimson Tide, yeah, I think there's some some interest, some intrigue to these coming days and how this plays out with the quarterback situation, how this plays out at a at m- multiple positions on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Seth McLaughlin in the snaps the last two weeks, it's inexplicable. You know, Saban Postgame mentioned that it hasn't been an issue at all. But it was an issue last Saturday night, and it was very much an issue against Texas. And so, whereas it's easy to throw Jalen Milrow under the bus, there were more issues for this Alabama offense on Saturday night than just the quarterback position. I mean, when you lose two touchdowns to penalties on two different offensive linemen, you know, that's not on Jalen. Now, I guess you could say, that when you resort to as much backyard ball as Alabama had resorted to in the first two and a half quarters or so, that's that kind of plays into penalty proneness. You know, when you're kind of outside the structure of the play design, that seems to be when you attract more penalties like ineligible receivers downfield or holding penalties Um, when things are happening outside the, again, the structure of the offense, but, I will say this, the receivers were not a problem on Saturday night. Kudos to those guys. And, you know, we all remember Austin a year ago. That was not pretty. But those guys went and made some plays for Jalen Milrow on Saturday night. Um, You had some explosive plays. Alabama had, I think it was nine um, explosive pass plays, Uh, plays of, 15 yards or more. Yeah, had nine pass plays of 15 yards or more. So hit some explosive plays. Jalen had the beautiful deep ball uh, to Jermaine Burton there when you felt like all was starting to be right with the world. It was returning to its axis there. In the second half, Kobe Prentice made some nice plays. Uh, Five catches for 68 yards. Jermaine had two for 58. Amari Nyblack with the great great catch and run for the touchdown nice block close from Isaiah bond at the end of that play in terms of whether or not uh, he may have been a little too close to comfort for a block in the back, but it was not called and it looked clean uh, in retrospect, but um, you know, it it was, it was a solid night for the receivers. Malik Benson, um, guys went up and were aggressive catching the football, attacking the football in traffic uh, and helping their quarterback. But, you know, I would have gone into this game and I know Amari had two catches at the tight end position, but I would have figured between the backs and the tight ends, there would have been a little bit more involvement. And that's where I got to give it up to Sark, man. Sark is, we talked about this on three for three with Jimmy Stein and Clint Lamb midweek about surviving the Sark script. Well, there's more to Sark than just a 15 to 20 play opening script. Uh, because I thought the guy was outstanding throughout the game in terms of spreading the football around and you know putting Quinn Ewers in situations where uh, he was going to be successful. And we had previewed the the weapons for Texas throughout the off season. I, mean, I do these top five opposing players at every position every off season, and just about every position that I did for Alabama opponents, offense, defense, special teams. Texas had representation, so this was a talented, capable Texas team. What you wondered about with Texas was whether or not it would have the required stuff to get it done, and I think they showed you that in committing far fewer penalties than Alabama, getting fortunate on the turnover front, right, you had to fumble the muff, by Quinn Ewers on the snap and the back picks it up and ends up picking up the first down. Now credit the Alabama defense right after that, they get a fourth down stop. So again, there were, there were really good things to take away from this game. And there were things that make me believe that again, anticipating that this was going to be, or might be the toughest game of the regular season for this team. There are still plenty of things this team can accomplish. I'm not saying this is 2015 Alabama, but I think that there continue to be similarities as far as the potential of this team once some things get leveled out, uh, once some guys continue to settle in, including the back end of that secondary that, you know, the back seven had too many busts there in the second half um, and just didn't finish the game. Pass rush, I don't know what to say at this point. I I really don't because – Alabama went into the game, obviously hoping to be able to get pressure with four. That did not happen. That was very evident early on that it was not going to happen. And then the pressures really weren't effective. You know, when you're minus five in sacks, that's another, another area that's difficult to overcome. And even if you want to say, well, sacks aren't everything. And we've heard Nick Saban say that. Okay. Well, did you affect the quarterback? And not as much, not so much. And with Ewers left to his own devices and working with guys like Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell and Jordan Jordan Whittington. Uh, and then also the way that uh, Sark spreads the football around to the backs as well, you know, that makes for a, a really tough night. I mean, when you've got a tight end catching five balls for 114 yards, Jatavion Sanders wasn't a secret, but when you have that much talent at the variety of positions like Texas has, uh, you can't cover everybody. And you damn sure can't cover everybody for four seconds. So if Alabama wasn't going to get pressure with four, it damn well had better get pressure with five. Or it's simulated pressures had better get home. And they did not. And so you get what you get kind of there on the defensive side, especially as a game wears on. And your pass rush starts to tire a little bit because I think Texas ran 13 or 14 more plays than Alabama. It it wasn't anything over the top. It wasn't like, you know, Ole Miss back in the day running 107 plays or something crazy. It was like 75 to 62. Um, But just efficiency in general, Texas was clearly the better team. You know, it's one thing to go 10 of 13 on third downs against Middle Tennessee. Can you do it against a team like Texas, Alabama goes five of 14 and penalties. As we talked about last week, after the MTSU game for this offense without Bryce Young to have success on third down and in the red zone, it cannot afford penalties. It cannot get behind the chains. It needs to live in third and medium at worst third and short. And you know, that goes back to the run game too. And I thought it was a flip of the halves. I thought in the first half, Alabama was the better offense in terms of running the football against sub-package personnel. Alabama was in a lot of 11, it seemed like, Saturday night. Uh, one back, one tight end, and kind of spread the field and then looked to run from that. And in the first half, uh, Jace McClellan, Roydell Williams, uh, thought they did some good things. I think Alabama... Uh, Sack adjusted rush yard average in the first half was like 5.7. And Alabama finished the game at 4.6. So a full yard less for the game than where it was at at the half tells you that Texas did a better job of slowing that down. That being said, again, I just anticipated more design runs or Jalen being more of a decision maker in the run game Uh, than he was from the quarterback position. And then in the second half, um, not that Texas ran it any better, really, in the second half. Texas did finish with 105 rushing yards. And Jonathan Brooks, their top rusher from the running back position, had more rushing yards than Alabama's top back uh, in rushing yards. Um, But situational run game. You know, when Texas had some red zone opportunities, punched it in. And then to finish the game, I thought that was masterful. Get Alabama in that light pass rush personnel late. And then you run the football at it for eight, nine yards. And that is a soul crusher when an offense does that to you. Because you are amped up. You are ready to get after the quarterback. And then they run the 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 straight give to a back out of the gun. Uh, and he got you. For a first down. And then on top of all that, it seemed appropriate again, given Alabama's mistakes in the game, that, you know, the defensive penalty late, the offsides on the fourth down, that was sort of the coup de grace of the whole evening. So this is where you go from here. It is off to Tampa to take on the Bulls of South Florida, who at last check on Saturday night were up on Florida AM by 14 lost to Western Kentucky last week. So again, this figures to be a get well situation for Alabama in terms of the the, the record book, uh, wins and losses. How much it impacts this team moving forward, getting into SEC play the week after, that's what I'm going to be as interested in as anything else. And that's going to start at the quarterback position, but not be limited to the quarterback position. You need to still get some guys healthier on the defensive side. Malachi Moore, Jalen Key. Um, you still have some promising young players that are only going to get better from here. Guys like Caleb Downs. I know they had Texas had the deep ball touchdown there uh, in the second half, where you had Trey Amos at the corner and you had Downs at the safety, and between those two guys, uh, you had a free runner on the on the post there, which can't happen. But you think or you hope anyway that you're not going to have those situations where a guy like A.D. Mitchell is running free behind your secondary. And I I say all this not to discredit or devalue the performance by Texas in any means. I thought Texas played better. Texas was was incredibly well coached. And you know a lot of those coaches on that other sideline. Bo Davis coaching that defensive line. Jeff Banks, special teams, tight ends. Uh, Kyle Flood coaching the offensive line. I, is AJ Milwey still on that staff at Texas? I mean, it goes on and on. So uh, you're not surprised by that part, but again, it was a very impressive performance by Texas. But for Alabama, it's back to the drawing board, and you know, got to figure some things out. Need to use this week as wisely as you possibly can, uh, and we'll. Be, it'll be fascinating to see how that game in Tampa opens at a number of spots. And this isn't to call for a mass exodus at a variety of positions. I'm just saying this should be an interesting week of practice. I'm not saying that Nick Saban is going to be especially harsh on his team. Um, But the reality is uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. And, And I think some of us anticipated that going into this game. And that was a fear, a concern going into this game. And unfortunately for Alabama, it showed up in the form of reality in a 10-point loss to the soon-to-be SEC Texas Longhorns. That's going to do it for instant analysis. Thanks once again for joining us here on the show. Travis Ryer, hoping you'll join us also right there at BamaOnline.com. Join us on the roundtable. We'll keep talking about it. We're going to have plenty to talk about in the coming days big recruiting weekend for Alabama and Tuscaloosa as well so you're going to want to check out the continuing coverage from our staff at bamaonline.com until next time song everybody That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions eighteen plus.